set your mind on things above with Taken, a metaphysical fantasy audio drama. He wanted a cure. He found the creator. Chapter 9 Revelation Enoch slapped his hand against his thigh, keeping time with the beat of the celebration. Thump, 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 thump. He passed a few younglings, skipping and tapping their feet too, as they ran behind their mothers toward the fire. Even without seeing the dances of old, the rhythmic pulsing still told the story. Every tribe knew the language of the drums. It could be heard over great distances, pounding the news of a successful hunt or the birth of a new son. Sounds like the tale-bearers are repeating the creation now. Enoch relaxed as he left the noise of the Seti Center and its well-lit paths. The dark trail leading to his tent was just ahead. For once, he was glad his dwelling would be empty. Now, Enoch, promise you'll meet me for the tales and don't forget to check on the boys, Dina had said as she gathered her things for the stay at Great Mother Eve's. I won't be able to get away much, you know how she is, and the other Medici are just helpless without me. Enoch smiled when he saw his youngest daughter's doll on the trail. He brushed off the dirt and stuffed it into his pack. Father, can we go, please? When he had hesitated, the girls begged even more. But who will cook my meal? Who will draw the water, he teased, scooping each one up and swinging them around. Oh, Papa, you know the hidden father will help you his smallest daughter insisted. That is truth indeed, and for such a response, you may go. Enoch stepped over the stack of wooden blocks left in the middle of the floor. Not blocks, Papa. This is a tower, a real watchtower for real Neshpanel, his young sons had insisted, swirling around in their hooded robes. With it, we can fight any beast who comes our way. They chased each other in circles around Enoch, dashing and pouncing and swinging invisible daggers into the air. Enoch picked up a small hooded robe, folded it neatly, and laid it on the pallet nearest the fire. Methuselah said he would teach us to fight like real Neshpanel at the gathering. All the youngling boys are camping out with the scouts this eve. Can we go too? When Enoch hesitated, they begged even more. We have stacked the wood, the eldest boy said, and refilled the manta, another chimed in. The forerunners have been brushed and fed. Well, I suppose you must go since there's nothing for you to do here. They jumped in circles around Enoch with imaginary daggers held high. But you must promise to do chores for the scouts. Enoch gathered a few logs laying close to the pile and stacked them back on top. We will, we will, we will do all they say, the boys chanted. They filled their sacks in five moments flat and were standing at the door waiting for their mother. My, that was fast, Dina said. I guess they have learned from the best. You are a good mother, Dina, Enoch said. I have to be, Dina said. Dina, I know my journeys make life hard for you, but, but it will be worth it, I know. Dina smiled weakly as she ushered their younglings out. Come now. Your father will want to have this place to himself for his supplications. Enoch sighed. I'll make it up to her. He felt a quickening inside from the one mind. Well, I'll try to make amends. The warmth intensified. For truth, I will at least ask the hidden father to help me. The feeling subsided and was replaced with the familiar tingling. Enoch smiled. 
Glad for a chance to regroup before joining Dina at the festivities, he cherished these times alone to seek the Ancient One. The presence was coming. Enoch rushed to find the articles. Where are they? Dina must have cleaned my quarters again. After a quick perusal, he found the small jar of myrrh, the pouch of incense, and the smooth rod inside a worn leather sack stuffed into an old chest. He rubbed the rod with a soft tattered cloth until it gleamed in the light of the full moon. This golden rod from the Cave of Treasures, a special gift from Great Mother Eve, was his most valued possession. She had given each of the firstborn sons one at their birth as a reminder of their home in the garden and the Ancient One's promise that they and their offspring should one day return. Enoch shook the pouch and jar. They were light in his hands. There may be enough for one, maybe two more prayers. Enoch shrugged and poured out what he needed. No point in troubling about it. At least there's enough for today. Enoch knew other firstborns whose jars and pouches were still full. Once he asked Tubal Khan about his. Only a fool would waste his birthright on the altar of sacrifice, especially when the Ancient One has not required it, his cousin said. Enoch hated to admit it, but even his father Jared thought he was being too extravagant when he caught his oldest son laying the valuable healing resins on the altar to the Ancient One on his thirteenth birthday. The others were afraid to use it. Knowing that once the special gift delivered to Adam and Eve by the angel Gabriel was gone, there would be no more. They always waited for the right time to use it. It never came. Enoch took a deep breath and laid the incense on the manta-heated stones surrounding the lone golden rod in the center. Sparks burst from the amber-colored chunks and flickered into flames. He sprinkled a bit of the myrrh over the small fire. Bittersweet puffs of smoke filled the tent as the oily substance caught fire. Enoch lifted the flap overhead to let the aroma drift toward the heavens. He placed the pouch and the jar carefully back into the leather sack, but not before shaking each one gingerly in his hand. He couldn't be sure— but it did seem like there was enough for at least one more sacrifice. Come to think of it, Enoch muttered to himself, as he knelt beside the fire and pressed his face to the soft earth beneath him. There always seems to be enough for one more. He began as he always did, thanking the Ancient One for everything he could think of, his family, his relationship with Dina, from Methuselah to Excel as a Neshpanel, each youngling by name, the reward of a good day's toil, and of course, finding the Alru. Then he blessed the name of the Ancient One and asked for forgiveness of his sins, naming as many as he could. Last, he began singing praises to the Hidden Father. Enoch lost track of the time. He was saturated with perspiration. His knees ached under the weight of his frame. He felt a cramp along the back of his neck. His throat was parched. Enoch gulped and paused. He listened for a long while. Enoch pushed himself upright. Maybe Tubal Khan was right. I am. The darkened corners of the tent brightened. Enoch rubbed his eyes as three men appeared before him, sitting around the fire. "'Greetings, Enoch, son of Adam,' the man said. His tawny skin looked as ruddy as Enoch's own. If Enoch didn't know better, he might have confused him with one of his uncles. He couldn't say the same for the other two men on his right and left. They were unusual. One had skin so dark it blended into the night, making his brilliant blue eyes stand out all the more." The other's flesh was as fair as the pale sands along the shores of the Pashan, with eyes the color of the grassy meadows of the Seven Hills. He had seen a few of the tribesmen bearing a strange appearance in eyes such as these, but it was rare. The council still hadn't decided whether these signs were a blessing or a curse. Those who did look different were treated with caution. Enoch opened his mouth to speak, but only a raspy whisper responded, Be at ease, man of dust. The Ancient One has heard your prayer.
the pale man said. We have been sent to reveal the mysteries of the hidden father and his sons. Because you have sacrificed that which was not required, the Ancient One has granted you vision to see that which has been. Enoch's thirst was quenched as if he had a cup of the sweetest water, and his sight sharpened to the point where even the minute grains on the ash surrounding the fire stood out in fine detail. Soft golden light emanated from these men as he stared into the fire. Enoch squinted and leaned forward. Men were fighting within the flames. There were hundreds, no thousands of them, too many to count. Vast mountains rose on either side of the fiery valley in which they fought. One man stood out above all the others. He was glorious in appearance. Precious stones adorned his garment and brilliant light came forth from him. He commanded his men to charge the mountain in a voice that bellowed as the horn. Many men, also bearing the light, attacked the hordes, but they could not defeat them. The battle raged on. Enoch leaned closer to the fire, almost singeing his burning cheeks, but he could not pull away. He had never seen fighting so fierce. They used rods of sharp metal, curved and straight as they hit and swung at each other. When the instruments fell, they wrestled, kicked, punched, and pummeled each other with great blows. Still, neither could defeat the other. Finally, a great burst of light appeared in the middle of the battle, more radiant than all the others, and from that light a voice spoke, and the sound of it was like thunder from without and within. Cast him out! A man appeared within the great light and watched as a fierce warrior of terrible countenance seized the glorious bejeweled one and threw him toward the heavens until he could be seen no more. The one which was thrown screamed and cursed the great light but could not withstand it. And the rebellious ones with him, thundered the voice again. Now every man led by the great warrior seized the ones they fought against and also threw them toward the heavens. Their shrieks and profanities echoed angrily through the flames, so distinct and tangible. Enoch looked around his tent, expecting to see the furious ones crashing through. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast whispered the tail-bearer as he crouched low and circled the fire. A colorful, winged creature appeared at his words, surprising the crowd as he soared over them with grace and agility. The man inside the elaborate costume swung from his vine and hit the ground dancing. A young woman wearing a sheer white garment and a crown made of petals skipped from the onlookers and joined the dance of the serpent with the carefree exuberance of a child. A handsome young man, also adorned in a robe of pure white, chased the girl and tried to catch her as she and the serpent swirled around and around him with dizzying speed. And he said unto Eve, the tail-bearer continued, Did the Ancient One really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Abruptly, the drums, the chants stopped. The dancers froze in their tracks. No one spoke or moved as the young woman stepped forward and answered the question. We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but the ancient one did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Again the pounding began, heavy and foreboding in its rhythm. Slowly and surely the serpent began a new dance, smooth and tantalizing, as he dangled a leafy branch laden with ripe fruit before her eyes. You will not certainly die, for the Ancient One knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like him, knowing good and evil, the tailbearer said. 
the young woman leaped for the fruit again and again, but the serpent kept it just out of reach. The young man sat silently and watched. After many attempts, the young woman seized the fruit and shoved it triumphantly into her mouth. Then she gave it to her handsome companion, and he too ate. Enoch stared into the flames again, shaking off the chill from the hatred in those eyes he had seen in the fire. The glorious one who had been defeated fell with force into a dark pit that gleamed from the heat of a fiery substance. Manta, Enoch whispered. He looked on, though he wanted to tear his eyes away. Somehow he was able to hear the thoughts of the enraged being and experience his emotions as if he himself had been the one conquered and thrust out. Enoch saw the glorious one burn and seethe with pain as his beautiful countenance was marred by the intense fire. Yet, he did not die. One by one, the men who fought for him fell into the pit and experienced the same fate. They screamed at their leader with bitter reviling as they writhed from the excruciating heat. See what your father has done, he bellowed as he shook his fist upward, but I will save you and restore your beauty. The furious one climbed upward, leaving behind the shrieks of terror. He clawed his way up a steep ascent until finally he reached a cool, dark place encased in stone. Light poured in from an opening. He shielded his eyes, now accustomed to darkness, from the light as he walked toward it and peered out. The being beheld a beautiful garden. The creature laughed uncontrollably, although Enoch thought it sounded more like a snarl. He cannot even keep me from his precious garden. He is not all-powerful. The glorious one, now covered with gross burns, ran toward the garden, yearning to cool his inflamed skin and the rushing water flowing in the distance. With great pain he reached it, diving headfirst into its clear depths. He resurfaced, confused. Instead of cool refreshing, he felt nothing, not even moisture. Rage seethed from deep within. He sloshed out the water to the trees nearby, full of ripe fruit. He plucked one, shoving it into his mouth. No sweet flavor, not even the texture of the fleshy fruit could he discern. A stunning creature strolled by and took fruit from the same tree, smiling with pleasure as he consumed it. Cold fear fueled his anger. How dare he walk past the great leader without showing homage? The furious one lifted a hand to strike the handsome face. Instead of a satisfying smack, his hand swung right through the man who walked away as if he didn't even exist. The furious one stared at his hands in horror. You will not defeat me. He raised his fist to the bright heaven, yelling curses, but stopped when a colorful winged creature sailed by, carrying something more beautiful than the man in the garden. They landed in the crystal river with a splash, laughing as they played in the current. The striking man-like figure did not seem to notice him, but the winged creature did. The young man and the young woman faced each other, staring in silence as the tempo changed seductively. Together they imitated the other's every move, never touching. Dancers came forward, each carrying a fan made of fig leaves, and duplicated the couple's moves. One at a time, they placed their fans around the couple until they were hidden from the tribesmen. Where are you? The tail-bearer boomed over the pounding drums. The dancers lowered their branches so the young man's head appeared above the fig leaves as they stepped rhythmically around the pair. 
I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid, he replied. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The talebearer asked. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. What is this you have done? The talebearer demanded, looking at the woman. The serpent deceived me and I ate. The colorful winged creature appeared again, swinging back and forth over the crowds, somersaulting from vine to vine. The talebearer rebuked him as the people rose and repeated the prophecy in unison. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The talebearer and the people reprimanded the young woman. I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. The crowd singled out the young man as the talebearer led them in the chant again. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. The dancers surrounding the man and woman dropped their fig leaves, and each picked up a worn animal skin. They wrapped these around the couple and disappeared back into the sea of onlookers. The people all sat while the talebearer continued alone. The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. The talebearer roared at the couple and chased them away. Do you understand what you have seen, Enoch, son of Adam? Anami asked. I think so. The young man and woman in the garden, that was first father Adam and great mother Eve, right? Anami nodded. For truth, I almost didn't recognize them until they ate the fruit. Their countenance changed after that. Enoch rubbed his arms as if the warmth generated would calm his fears. Who was the furious one who fell into the pit? Anami hesitated. This time the one with the ruddy skin like his spoke. The furious one you saw was once called Lucifer, Delmar said. He was a son of the Most High and the great leader in heaven until the thing which is not good was found in him. He was the most powerful and beautiful Benai Elohim, the Ancient One created. Yet his beauty corrupted him, and he sought to take the glory of the Ancient One for himself. Now he's called Satan the Accuser. Enoch gazed into the fire once more, seeking another vision. The incredible images were gone. Only flickering amber flames remained. Enoch recalled the vivid fighting, the terrible punishment. What were his accusations? This you must learn for yourself, Delmar said. What does he mean? Enoch wondered. But said nothing, as one of the men seemed irritated and the other agitated. I can tell you this, Satan dwells among you and also those who follow him, Anami finally said. You mean the fallen? Enoch looked over his shoulder as if one might burst through the entrance. First Father Adam and Great Mother Eve told us the stories of how the fallen trapped them in the cave of treasures with fire and how they led them to the top of Mount Arata and left them to die. Yet some other men came and led them safely down. The ones who helped your father Adam and aging Mother Eve were watchers, Anami said. 
Watchers? We are watchers, too. Enix stared into the eyes of the strange men. The fight with the great dactyl, the stranger, the treacherous escape on the cliffs, the memories came flooding back. The long, dark tunnel, the wondrous river in the garden, the Alru, the men of fire. The Beloved. He took a sharp breath. It's you. Enoch, the Beloved has sent us to help you, Anami said with a gentle smile. Enoch wrinkled his brow and faced Anami, avoiding the piercing eyes of the ebony angel. One who calls himself Samjaza has come here with a company of men. He claims he can help us. He says he is of the Elohim and that the Ancient One has sent him. Praise the light. Is this true? Do they really know how to heal the sickness? Enoch rushed on. Is he trying to... Enoch stopped abruptly. His mouth hung slightly ajar. Is he of the fallen? Enoch shuddered, remembering the rage of the men who followed Satan. No, Enoch. Samjaza is a watcher, Anami said. Enoch relaxed just a bit at the news and wiped his damp palms against his leg. Wait, if Samjaza is a watcher, why? Enoch did a double take. In the blink of an eye, the men vanished. I say, Delmar, you really should give me a warning the next time you plan on transforming in the middle of a chat. Irritation shaded Anami's usually pearly essence to opal. I nearly lost my balance when you pulled me out. I had to do something because a certain person was just overflowing with information. I am not sure the ancient wants a human to know all that. Delmar became a little more golden as his own hues intensified. I was merely being helpful and encouraging, Anami said defensively, moving just a little closer to Delmar's face, not scaring the chap out of his mind with all that you-must-learn-for-yourself prattle. Well, at least I have the wisdom to enough. Azam whisked a razor-sharp sword between the two. You both talk too much. A simple beware of some jaza would have sufficed. Anami and Delmar backed away from Azam's sword, considering the point. Delmar looked away, abashed. Normally, he would have thought of that. Good fellow, that was a fine piece of sport there. I never saw the sword coming. You really must show me. Anami changed the subject as he reached for Azam's weapon. As much as I would like to play with you two, we've got work to do. Azam snatched his sword back. No one touched his weaponry. No wonder the beloved sent me along. Between your squabbles and shenanigans, we'll miss our assignment. Delmar, since you can disguise yourself from some Jaza's men and any fallen, you go to the tribunal and report back. Anami and I will stay and guard Enoch, just in case. This concludes this chapter of Taken, a metaphysical fantasy audio drama. If you enjoyed this excerpt and just can't wait for the next chapter, download Taken ebook through Amazon Kindle and read it for free with Amazon Prime. Also, please check back for upcoming chapters of Taken on this podcast. Remember, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Please share this uplifting read with your friends and get ready to soar. Thank you again for listening and may the favor of the Ancient One be on you.